Hello, captives and captive friends, and welcome to episode 33 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by legacy specialist RQ. If you are new to the podcast, then please do make sure you are subscribed on your app of choice. You can find us everywhere from Apple Podcasts and Spotify to Castbox and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for Global Captive Podcast and hit subscribe or follow. This week, we'll be hearing from two captive owners, Courtney Claflin at University of California and Mike LaPerch of Pride Industries in a sneak peek of an excellent GCP short to be released on 12th of July. Courtney, Mike, Jason Flaxbeard of Peter Carlson get into a really great discussion on defining risk appetites. And later in the episode, I'll be joined by Cassie Batman of Elevate Captives, who will bring us up to speed on exactly what is going on in Delaware and why the IRS has filed a suit against the state's Department of Insurance in relation to its investigation to captives managed by Artex Rick Solutions and Tribeca Strategic Advisors. But before all of that, I'd like to bring in our guest co-host for this episode, Amory Toll has been a guest on GCP previously, but it is your first time in the co-host chair, Amory. So uh, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Richard. I'm very pleased to be here. Good stuff. Well, uh, when our listeners last heard from you, Amory, you were just two months into your role at Highlands as its global captive solutions leader, I believe, which you began in September 2019. It's now been uh, about 10 months uh, in the middle of a fast, hardening market. And then now the pandemic, of course, it's it's a very interesting time to be, to be growing a captive practice, I imagine. So how, how have you found uh, this last 10 months or so? No, absolutely. As you mentioned, I joined in September of 2019, and it last fall was a very exciting time with joining, learning the organization, and immersing myself in the culture of Highland and understanding our capabilities, our team members, and, and service arsenal. And essentially, with going into 2020, we had great headwinds with the opportunity of the hard market and then what has resulted with COVID-19, it has had a huge impact, as you can imagine, on our overall Global Captive Solutions team. In my words, I would say it's, it's a positive impact. We have had expansion with the number of opportunities with people exploring captives or making strategic changes to their captives. And the ability to grow our team, we have offers and acceptances out to three different individuals to grow our team as a result of this growth. And I'm actively searching for additional resources, not only here in the United States, but around the globe to support our our mission and our strategy with expanding our service offerings. Fantastic. And we'll certainly come on to a bit more regarding the expansion of, of Highland later on in the episode. And there was, of course, already a captive practice in place when you joined, Anne-Marie. What, what has been some of your priorities in this uh, almost first year? Certainly. The, coming in and, and immersing myself into the culture, the, the service offerings that we currently have, has been a tremendous overtaking. And Fortunately, we have great team members and there's been some consistency within our, particularly in our captive management team. And so a lot of protocols and procedures, which were originally established, and we have enhanced those. I've added additional team members who have had the the time and effort and, and focused on enhancing and best practices from a procedural perspective. We have uh, under our wing several group captives in which Highland started and an overall cell structure. And 
in those scenarios, we are expanding those from a marketing perspective with additional membership. And we also are evaluating and enhancing from an overall best practice scenario with protocols and instilling the protocols with the members. We've had great reactions thus far. And um, I presume the pandemic, as you mentioned, has had, has had a big impact on uh, you know, the insurance market more broadly, but and the captive interest specifically. How has the uh, pandemic kind of changed the types of conversations that you're having both with existing captive owners and, and prospective captive owners? Yes. Yeah, so the pandemic has changed uh, dramatically, as, as we're all aware, around the world with the way we interact on a day-to-day basis. For myself personally, we are not traveling. Uh, that was a huge part of, of my role historically, but it's amazing how the interaction has actually been enhanced with the Zoom technology or go-to meetings, whatever your choice is. And so the pandemic has had a great impact and brought us closer actually to our clients. We have continued to expand, as, as I mentioned earlier, with the number of prospects who have turned into clients without ever visiting them in person mm. and having interactions just over the phone and with electronic video capabilities. So in, in my opinion, it's actually enhanced how we interact with our clients and I see this actually as we go forward, it, a new mode of operation that we don't always need to be right next to someone or in the same room, that we can still accomplish the same goals um, from the pandemic perspective. So um, with the pandemic, the crisis has definitely had a lot of more interaction with our current captive clients and prospective captive clients on how do you manage your risk and what happens if this pandemic continues for a, a lengthy time period until a vaccination or a medicine is available to lessen the impact of the symptoms. Or if something dramatically happens with an additional pandemic or virus or, or something in the future. So it's gotten a lot of conversations going about risk exposures. Yeah, I think on your on your first point regarding the kind of uh, changes in habit regarding travel and, and face-to-face meetings moving to obviously virtual meetings, I'm really interested to see kind of w- what the situation is in, in two or three years' time. And this is hopefully uh, a long way behind us if, they, if these new habits really continue and we do see maybe uh, a vast reduction in the kind of business meeting travel, day-to-day travel. We know, I know that you spend a lot of time on airplanes previously, Anne-Marie, we know lots of captive consultants, both in Europe and America, that you know, will we'll be on planes for one or two meetings in a day and hopefully i think it would be great for everyone if, if, the, if that culture did reduce in some degree not just for our own health um and spending less time on airplanes but for businesses bottom lines it would save a lot of money if we can have really um engaging valuable interactions virtually and then maybe it's the conferences when we do all still come together and you get to see everyone in one place i think that would probably be a really good outcome in the longer term Regarding the uh, longer term effects of the pandemic on the insurance market, where do you see where do you see that, what kind of longer term effects do you expect to see on the insurance market regarding uh, policy forms and, and the way companies use uh, captives as well? No, great question, Richard, because I do anticipate there is going to be a longer term effect. Uh, obviously, people were immediately concerned about the short-term challenges, but I also believe the long-term effects are, are going to be felt throughout all different lines of coverages um, from a commercial aspect. When you evaluate and look at anything ranging from 
workers' compensation to general liability, property risk um, from an exposure and potential cleanup, and, and is it a safe work environment, the health insurance, particularly here in the United States, but even worldwide. So I do see uh, rate increases and, and already experiencing those, which we had, unfortunately, going into the pandemic, but I think mm. it will continue for quite some time. Bottom line is, I think for captives in general, we always say and have, I've lived through some of these times in my own experience and longevity in the captive space. Hard market is a great time you know, for people to drive and look at alternatives and captives being one of those alternatives as a solution. Um, I think that will continue and it will be beneficial for clients to design policies where the policy forms, you're going to see more and more exclusions, in my opinion, across mm. the board with various policies related to pandemic virus. Um, we've already seen that as a result of terrorism events around the world. But is there some other type of attack that is going to have a huge impact on an organization? And so I, I, I see the exploration and the innovation within the captive space to be able to develop certain policies, at least set a portion of money aside to protect yourself and to ensure that you have the longevity with your operations as you look forward into the future. Well, two existing captive owners who are already grappling with this new normal and have very captive-centric insurance strategies in place already are the University of California and Pride Industries. Both own multiple captives in Washington, D.C. And in an upcoming GCP short episode, Courtney Claflin and Mike LaPerch join myself and friend of the podcast, Jason Flaxbeard of Beecher Carlson, to discuss defining risk appetites in a hardening market. What follows is a short extract from that discussion, which will be available in full from 12 of July. When, when we say uh, you put them in the in the captive and, and the things which are what we believe to be uninsurable, Jason, how, how do you go about doing that? Because if it's not definable, I mean, I, I had a conversation the other day about kind of putting almost undefined systemic risks into into the captive, which could respond on the in the kind of situations we're seeing now is that is that actually feasible is that actually realistic is that doable jason to kind of put those these large systemic events and ensure them bearing in mind we don't necessarily know what they are well you, you know it's it's an interesting uh, concept you, you have in order to place something inside your cat you have to actually define what it is and all regulators will say have you done any modeling around this uh, and the way that you actually place those those risks inside your cat is is to if you can't find uh, you know, an RMS model or an AIR model or an actuarial model in there that, that will support your position, the, the way that we try trying to do this is we do a deterministic test based on a tabletop exercise to show what are a bunch of outcomes that we can look at from an art perspective. And I don't mean art as in alternative risk transfer perspective. I mean art as in you know, opposite of science. So we take a look at items that actually have systemic risk or market risk or, or maybe um, existential risk for a company and say, how, how do we plan for the mitigation of these risks using our captive? We may fund the captive, but you know, for a first party risk, that's just left pocket, right pocket. But what you're actually doing by, uh, by funding the captive is you're defining the risk, you're placing some financial resources around its mitigation, and you're, you're raising the level of that risk up through the organization so that you know that it exists. And the captive becomes a, a repository for all the risk of the organization, which is reviewable by the board of the captive and the board of the entity. 
So it, it, by quantifying the risk, you allow it to run from risk management through to ERM through, through to the board and potentially internal audit as well as, 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 as companies look to, to find out what's, what, uh, what items could affect their, their solvency. But if you don't place it into the, into the captive and you just assume that it's a natural thing to place on your balance sheet in an unfunded way, there's a potential that it may, it may go unlooked at. So if you look at pandemic, McCorney, this time last year, if you had spoken to your bosses and said, we're going to go out in the marketplace and we're going to play 20, pay 20% rate online to buy a pandemic product, what would the response have been at that stage? Well, I think that, that they'd probably go, you're, you're nuts. You know, we haven't had this happen for a decade or more. But you also have to take a look at the fact that the markets are smart and the markets have been excluding it for that long. I think back to, to all of your previous points, you're insuring it anyway. You know, if it happens, you're paying the expenses. At the university system, we didn't have coverage and we've lost billions and you got to pay for it or you lose that money. So do you want to have a consistent, disciplined funding methodology for the what ifs? And we've tried uh, diligently over the last five years, as I've told my boss and my board, is, is the reason we have a diversified captive portfolio is to increase surplus to be here in a time of need. And if it's not quote unquote covered, do we have the, the funds available to, to help smooth out financial result to the university system? So I, I think it's just a matter of taking a, a, a philosophy of we're, we're technically insuring a lot of stuff that doesn't have reinsurance support behind it based on its makeup. You know, I find that interesting because ultimately what this is, is an access to cash discussion. If you fund it on your balance sheet, in theory, what you're doing is you're lumping that that potential liability in with every other unfunded liability that you have out there. And when this thing occurs, what we need to, to, to do is to say that we have specific funds laid aside for this. We're not diverting funds from any other operational pursuit that we have. We already have these funds earmarked for this sort of event. And that's an important thing to, 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 to sell to management. That's a hugely important aspect to what we're talking about. One of the issues that we were just discussing was how do you put it in your captive if it's essentially uninsurable? If it's the black swan event, it's a huge catastrophic event. It's one of those four events that Deutsche Bank talked about. You fund it in your captive and you look for ways to lay it off, uh, you know, either through reinsurance or a cat bond or some other strategy. But secondarily, your point about cash, cash is king in a crisis. And I can, I, we can see it all around us as we drive through our communities with boarded up restaurants that probably will never reopen as a result of COVID uh, and small businesses that have been so devastated by uh, the financial implications of, of COVID. I know, for example, our captive has been able to provide dramatic cash uh, support for our, our parent organization through this whole exercise with COVID. Uh, it's, we did a tabletop exercise over a year ago on, on a pandemic uh, plan, and I, I got probably 90% of it wrong now that we've been through it in real life. However, the captive has been so resilient and able to defer premium payments from the parent that it's been able to maintain better liquidity now in the circumstance we're under than under normal operating conditions.
The Global Captive podcast is supported by RQ, the award winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ can provide a wide range of solutions and has A rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers, and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement, whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to RQ. So there was some quite stunning captive news coming out of the United States on 19th of June with the tax division of the US Department of Justice filing a petition to enforce summons against the Delaware Department of Insurance. This petition is a result of the Internal Revenue Services Promoter Audit in relation to Artex Risk Solutions and Tribeca Strategic Advisors, which is part of Artex, and their marketing of 831B captives, also known as micro-captives. For those less familiar with the US captive landscape, Delaware is considered the third largest captive domicile in the States by business insurance, with 366 active captives at the end of 2019. It is also home, however, to hundreds more series LLC captives, which often don't make their way into those statistics. And these vehicles in particular have been popular among micro-captive managers and clients. There is certainly a much broader discussion and analysis to be done on this podcast about the history, evolution and damage that 831B captives have done to the US captive market, especially from a reputational standpoint. And that is something uh, that I'm absolutely planning to do in the coming months. But for now, I just wanted to explain uh, what this latest government action means and next steps. So Cassie Backman, Managing Director of Compliance at Elevate Captives, very kindly agreed to talk us through the headline legal points and what happens next. The summons purpose is to compare documents, which Artex has already produced these documents. It's a means to make sure that Artex provided the correct information. So the big question is, is the administrative summons going to trump state law or is it subservient as the McCarran-Ferguson Act mandates? And The department's ability to maintain confidentiality of captive insurance-related documents is in accordance with state law, specifically Title 18, Section 6920, and they can't ignore state law because the IRS wants them to. I mean, legally, the Delaware commissioner has to comply with the laws of the state of Delaware. Okay, so a bit like in the the case we've seen with CIC services, this is looks like it's more of a not so much a constitutional issue, but it's very much a legal wrangle rather than directly related to anything at this moment to actual how captives are operating and how they're managed. Oh, absolutely. Yes. This is just about procedurally can the IRS make a sovereign state produce documents? So is the and is the summons solely in relation to the IRS's promoter audit of Artex slash uh, Tribeca, or is this a wider issue? No, it's just Artex and Tribeca, but it is a wider issue if it's decided that the IRS can make Delaware hand over documents. It could be a slippery slope from there. If the IRS can compel a sovereign state agency to violate their laws, where does it go from there? Yeah. And of course, as we know, insurance in the states is state regulated, not federally regulated. And I know states are very proud of that fact and want to keep control of the way that they regulate insurance companies. Uh, so what is it specifically that the DDOI is accused of, of doing wrong, if anything? Well, you know, there's not an allegation they've done anything wrong. They've provided 18,000 documents, which the service admits 
And, you know, Delaware hasn't completely ignored the IRS. And that's what the affidavit says. They, per their law, they can ask the clients if they are willing to have the department share documents with the IRS. And if you look at paragraph 20 of the petition, they admit this. Those clients that said, okay, you can share mine, Delaware did. But per law, they can't provide documents that haven't been released by the client. And clients have expectations of confidentiality because the law gives them those expectations. So you mentioned there, Cassie, that the DDOI has previously handed over 18,000 patients in relation to just 16 Delaware captives previously. And that's mentioned in in the summons. What were those 18,000 pages in relation to? Why were those, Why have those 16 Delaware captives been handed over in, in, in terms of those documents? And, and do we know why the DDOI is unwilling to comply with these latest requests from the IRS? So like I just said, you know, the, the 18,000 pages in relation to those 16 captives were handed over because the clients agreed to that. But Delaware's complied to the extent of the law. So they're not unwilling to work with the IRS. They have but they can only do so much because state law tells them how to govern. So what are the next steps then, Cassie? And do the DDOI have a a certain timeline to respond? And in terms of how this might play out going forward, what, what do we need to be looking out for? Right. So there is a timeline because there's a proposed order that the IRS submitted. But uh, when I looked yesterday, I didn't see that a judge has even been assigned yet to this. So it gets a bit complicated because the judge can either sign the order or they can say, hey, I want the Delaware Department of Insurance to come and tell me why they shouldn't be compelled to obey. And that's when the Delaware Department gets to respond. And they, I mean, I can only predict, I'm not very good in the pundit business, but I'm thinking they'll probably ask for a briefing schedule and just lay out their case. And part of their case is probably going to address the big question, is the commissioner in Delaware being compelled to violate the laws he's compelled to enforce? So then the federal judge will weigh the issue and it goes from there. So Cassie, uh, lots of ifs, of course, but if the IRS was to get their way, um, or maybe it wasn't to get their way, but if they were to get their way and the DDOI were uh, compelled to hand over more documents, could this be setting a wider precedent than just the Artex case or just Delaware? Could we be looking at this potentially having ramifications for the industry across the United States? Absolutely. I mean, it's just our text today, but this would be a precedent in all captive domiciles. And then it asks the question, what would this do to the industry, specifically the communication between the regulators and the regulated? So joining me is Amri Toll, Global Captive Solutions Leader at Highland. Before the break, we were discussing the potential longer term impact of the pandemic on the insurance market. Of course, we were already in the hard market, as you mentioned, before COVID hit. Are you seeing new interest from sectors, uh, new types of sectors interested in captives or, or types of businesses that haven't been interested in captives before? Great question. We are seeing interest from a variety of different organizations, and some of them include organizations who have historically transferred risk related to what I call entrepreneurial use or or program business. And I've seen a tremendous amount of interest. Um, We're working on our third and fourth opportunity right now with clients where they have a relationship with an existing carrier. The carrier is obviously fronting and writing the insurance, and it's been a risk transfer play. 
Now they have an interest in actually taking a quota share of the program business. And so that area in particular for us at Highland has seen a spike over the last six to 12 months. But otherwise, we're seeing an interest in diversified manufacturing again. Um, Some of them have been hit hard here in the United States, but also around the world with closures as a result of COVID. Um, So I think those manufacturing companies or suppliers, for instance, even to the automotive industry here and around the world are are revisiting captives if they visited them in the past and opted not to move forward. And we've also seen organizations who had an existing captive closed it down maybe several years ago and that renewed interest because the cycle for them is extremely short. They have the understanding, they have the education. They're just unfortunately kicking themselves in the behind because they should have kept it in existence because as we all know, we can't predict market cycles, but those who have lived through them long enough know that things end up coming around and history proves that that there is sometimes a, a repeat. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I know of a few cases, particularly here in Europe, of, of companies who are closed captives down in the last four or five years and now are regretting that decision is probably the right term uh, or at least uh, thinking that maybe wasn't quite, they were maybe too rushed into that. I mean, you, you mentioned there where we're seeing interest from maybe new new types of areas or new types of programs. In terms of the traditional where we've seen interest from captives, uh, is there, uh, are you seeing familiar patterns and where most of this new interest is coming from, from kind of more familiar industries to us? Yeah, you, I'm still seeing, for instance, yesterday I had a call from a physician group who was interested in professional liability insurance for medical malpractice. So same type of interest that you historically have seen. Um, we're, we're working with, uh, for instance, some Canadian companies right now, uh, working with a, some companies out of Brazil. So we're seeing a lot more interest, quite honestly, with similar industries, but now on a more global basis and in areas that historically um, those who were U.S.-centric focused on U.S.-centric business, but, but now really that expansion around the globe, which you and I both, Richard, have seen particularly in Europe, but I think as some countries in different parts of the world are becoming more sophisticated and their local regulation for insurance is being updated to, quote unquote, what I call modern times, there's a lot more opportunity. So I I think the same industries, whether you're automotive, manufacturing, a supplier, professional services, it, it does really run the gamut across the board for what we're seeing. So you mentioned there, uh, Marie, about uh, you know interest from cli- potential clients in Canada and Brazil. And you mentioned at the top of the episode about your expansion plans with Highland. C- can you give us a little bit more detail on on what kind of capabilities you might be looking to add um, outside of the US, particularly, and, and maybe what regions? Is it just consulting? Is it captive management? What, what's the kind of uh, plan if you're able to sh- share that with us? Certainly. No, thank you, Richard. We have a keen interest in actually both areas. We're looking actively right now for advisory and consulting here in the United States, but particularly outside of the United States, whether it's uh, Europe, Latin America is a, a very large interest for us. Here at Highland, we have a worldwide broker network. We're the founding member, so we have brokerage partners around the world that we work very closely with on the placement of insurances, but they don't necessarily have the the resources from a captive or alternative risk space. And this is an area we're looking to partner with them 
and and grow this space. So we're looking for that type of talent around the globe. We're also looking for key domiciles, which will continue to expand on where we want boots on the ground, captive management services. So we've been actively engaged in conversations from both a potential acquisition standpoint or specific team members. And so we're looking over the next um, two to three years to really put the boots on the ground in certain domiciles around the globe and expand. Fantastic. Well, definitely one to watch. That's the kind of uh, gossip I'm always very interested in, Anne-Marie. So I'll be keeping a close eye on on that activity. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a great time to be looking to do this. Uh, I think Europe, I think there's limited options and of, of, of captain managers who are kind of open now. There's so few independents left, for example. I think it's going to be a struggle to find captive managers in Europe but I think that whole European captain management landscape does need a shake-up. So I wish you all the best uh, on that venture. And that's really all we have time for this week uh, on GCP 33. I'd like to say thank you to all of my guests, Jason Flatsbeard, Courtney Claflin, and Michael LePerch in our sneak peek of the next uh, next week's GCP short, Cassie Backman of Elevate Captives, and of course you, Anne-Marie. Thank you for coming onto the pod. Thank you, Richard, for having me today. Stay safe, stay healthy, and see you next time, captives. <laughs>